Matthew chapter 2, verse 9. When they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. I'd like to speak to you today on the guiding star. Please be seated and thank you for opening your heart in worship today. The guiding star. In the book of Matthew, Jesus Christ is depicted in his royalty. He is the kingly Messiah in the lineage of David, the king of Israel. It is fitting that Matthew would depict him this way and that in this book we would see the story of these wise men coming to worship this child who has been born king of the Jews. They bring gifts that are fit for a king. We meet them in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star. I want you to just notice those words. We have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. The wise men did not just see a star. They saw his star. They had access to knowledge of Judaism and would have known of prophecies of a king to come. They were evidently priest sages, religious men who gave wisdom, not Jewish men, but they were obviously involved in astronomy or astrology, studying stars. The origin of these men is unknown. Obviously, they came from the east of Jerusalem, Persia, Arabia, Babylonian, Babylonia, some have speculated. And their knowledge probably came from Jews who had been dispersed throughout the ages, Jews of the diaspora, who had scattered through the known world and settled there, had their synagogues if they had at least ten families. They would have shared some news with others about the future the messianic kingdom. They saw his star in the east and they made this trek of many months perhaps seeking the one who would be born king of the Jews. They never really considered that this king might be born outside of the political and religious system. So they did what you would naturally do. They went to the capital. They went to the place where you would find the reigning king, the sitting king, to find the king who was to be born or was born king of the Jews. Now when Herod heard that a future king was born, the Bible said that he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Matthew 2 and 3. Now when you understand a little bit about Herod, you understand why he did not rejoice with exceeding great joy. He was incredibly insecure. He had two of his sons, Alexander and Aristobulus, executed in 7 BC. He was very sick toward the time of his death. But in the last three weeks, excuse me, in a short period of time before his death, he had his will 
changed three times. In 7 BC, he named Antipater as his sole heir. In 5 BC, he drew up a new will, making Antipas his heir. Finally, five days before his death, he had Antipater executed, drew up a new will, naming Archelaus as king over the whole realm. So you can understand why this paranoid King Herod was not exactly excited about the news of a king who was born the king of the Jews. He's raging and jealousy and anger, but he keeps cool composure in front of the wise men. He controls his countenance and he calls his scholars, his theologians together, and he asks them what the Bible says about where this Messiah would be born. So they dug through the scrolls of the Old Testament, the chief priests and scribes did, and they found that he would be born in Bethlehem. They find the Old Testament prophecy that was written by Micah that he would be born in Bethlehem. Herod shares this information with the wise men, tells them to go worship him, and after they find him, come back and tell me so I can come and worship him too. The last thing on his mind was worshiping his competitor. So the wise men leave Herod. They leave Bethlehem. You have to realize that from their beginning journey in the east until now, there's been no star. They saw his star in the east. It seemed to indicate king of the Jews, so they made their trek to Jerusalem, and now they leave Jerusalem, they leave Herod, and the Bible says what we read in our text in Matthew chapter 2 verse 9. When they heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. I've mentioned this story in the last few services here and there. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. When you find what you've been searching for, when you find what you've paid a price for, you can understand why these men and people who find Jesus rejoice with exceeding great joy. This is an exciting time for them. And this star that they saw in the east, his star, is now transformed. It points him not just to Bethlehem, not just to the right neighborhood or even the right street. It led them to the exact house where the young child Jesus and his mother were. So it begs the question, what was this guiding star? There's been much speculation about it. I've taught about it and preached on it through the years. Some say it must have been the alignment of stars. Now, I've read much about this. There was an astronomer named Kepler who observed in 1603 that back in that day there could have been a conjunction of stars. And Kepler makes the case of that. He goes on to calculate that there could have been an alignment of planets, Jupiter and Saturn, in Pisces in 7 B.C. and Mars would have joined that conjunction in 6 B.C. And perhaps they think it could have been an alignment or conjunction of 
planets that indicated to these wise men that the king was going to be born. There are some Chinese astronomical tables that might indicate that there was a comment about that time and it would agree with the date of the birth of Christ. But if you read the Bible, which is always a really good thing to do, you find out something different. That this star was more than a natural phenomenon. It was a supernatural light. I love the life of Christ and J.W. Shepherd is one of the chief scholars. And he said over all the arguments that are made about this miraculous star, his star that they saw in the east, the fact that it would come and hover over where the young child was, and the Greek word for star isn't even multiple stars. It would be used for one star. So he says if you take all of this information together, it would tell us, it would favor that it was his star. It was a miraculous light that they saw in the east. It seems to point to a special supernatural guidance from the east to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to the house where the young child and his mother was. J. Dwight Pentecost in his amazing book, The Words and Works of Jesus Christ, wrote about this and said the same, that it seems that this was a phenomenon that was not natural but supernatural. These men were more than astronomers, but they were astronomers. And if they would have seen a star, a constellation, they would have been familiar with that. It would have been natural. It would not have triggered a trek from the east to Jerusalem to find this king born of the Jews. They could have explained away naturally what was a naturally occurring phenomenon. But this was more than that. The shining glory of God, he believes. Something like Abraham saw when God appeared to him in Genesis chapter 7. The glory of God. Acts 7-2 speaks about this. The glory of God appeared to our father Abraham. More than a constellation, more than a single star, more than an alignment of planets. It seems that over in the east, God wanted to reveal himself to these men. And he's shown in his glory to show them something special that they would never have seen in the natural world. Like Abraham, this revelation that moved Abraham out of his country, away from his kindred, separated him from his past, dedicated him toward his future. This supernatural light called these wise men from their natural world into a world of the supernatural where they would behold something that they could have never seen in their land. It seems that this was what God did. Amen. The Lord did not precede them on their long journey from the east to Jerusalem. They, like Abraham, they, like every one of us, had to journey by faith. He appeared to us that pointed us to Jerusalem. If he appeared to us then, we may not know the specifics, but we know enough that we need to find him. We need to seek him. That star is guiding us somewhere. And we're going to use that information and make the best decision we can. It is a star indicating the birth of the Messiah of the Jews. So we're going to go after him to try to find him. The guiding star. They come to Jerusalem and think about this. God could do anything. He's sovereign. He could have guided them from the east to Jerusalem 
going around the city, take the 285 bypass, the star reappearing and guiding them to the house. Herod did not have to be in the picture, except God allowed him to be in the picture. They did not even need to go to Jerusalem. A God who can do anything and say anything at any time could have guided them around that, but the Lord and His wisdom included that as part of the story. It's interesting that it wasn't just a supernatural phenomenon, but it was the Word of God that guided them to Bethlehem. God would involve His Word to point them to the person of Jesus Christ. Fascinating, intriguing that this star would guide them from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to the house where the young child lay. When they found him, Matthew 2.11 says, when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts fit for a king, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You could speak a lot about these and things that maybe they pointed to into the future of Jesus. But it's amazing to me that without pretense, these wealthy, educated, respected, wise men bowed down before this young child. Without inhibition, they worshipped him as the king. Without reservation, they lavished on him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Amen. They did not hold anything back. They didn't buy it at the Dollar General in Jerusalem. They brought it with them. They came to church prepared to give, prepared to worship. It's something they thought about before they ever left home. And then, after this amazing visit, the Bible said they were warned in a dream. And they went home another way, bypassing Jerusalem. They would leave Herod to stew and be angry that he was mocked of the wise men, this guiding star. So let's talk about the purpose of this star. Why did God do this? The story of the wise men and the star they followed is really fascinating. And it is fundamental to the Christmas story. It's a beautiful story. But think about it. This complex astronomical phenomenon served a simple, single purpose. That star appeared to lead wise men to Jesus. And everything God does is for the purpose of pointing people to himself. The heavens declare the glory of God. And everything that God created points to his existence, to his reality, and his power. The guiding star is a good example of how God reveals himself to people. Often God first reveals himself in a general revelation. He gives you enough information, enough knowledge to let you know that he is there, that he is real. And then he leaves it to your own initiative to either ignore or investigate what you have felt or seen or heard. Amen. Paul said that we should feel after him and find him. 
Though he be not far from every one of us. But you may want him to come knock you down with some zap from heaven. But that's not generally the way it works. There's something to tell you that he is real. He is there. And then it is up to you to say that he is worth seeking and find him. The wise men looked for him in the obvious place, which would have been Jerusalem. For us, the obvious place to find him is in a more sure word of prophecy, the Bible. This general announcement captivated them and called them to a journey toward Jesus. And the wise men left Jerusalem. The nature of the star transformed from a distant beacon to something more like a spotlight. It was general in the east, but it was specific between Jerusalem and Bethlehem and to the house. God allowed what was distant to become something that was near. He allowed something that was general to become very specific as they followed him toward what they did know. He revealed to them what they did not know. And God always, it seems, does it like that. For you it may have been a nudge, a dream, an impression, a deep feeling of the Spirit. In the book of Job, the Bible said that the Lord speaks through dreams. And that God can speak in one way or another. And yet often men do not perceive it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls upon men while they are slumbering, On their beds, he opens the ears of men. He seals their instruction in order to turn men from their deed and to conceal the pride from man. He keeps back his soul from the pit. God begins to reveal himself through sometimes dreams or impressions or circumstances that are pointing you maybe in a general direction leaving it up to you that your destiny is up to your desire and your determination to find what you feel inside, that there surely must be more to life than just something out there somewhere pointing us to Jesus Christ. When the star of Revelation first appears, you may not know the details, but you always know enough to start your journey toward Jesus Christ. It seems that God often speaks to people through what they know, these wise men who were astronomers, that God may speak to you through the known to reveal the unknown, leaving the journey up to you. It seems that in our lives as believers, the will of God is often like this as well. There is a general knowledge of the will of God revealed in the Bible And if you don't care enough to follow what you know, don't ever think he's going to tell you what you don't know, but wish to know. If you want to know the specific will of God for your life, start with obeying the general will of God revealed in his word. The Lord may speak to you like he spoke to Abraham with more questions than answers. In Genesis 12, 1, the Lord told Abram, Get out of your country and from your kindred and from your father's house unto a land that I will show you. Now that's real specific, isn't it? 
I want you to leave the known for the unknown. I want you to leave the familiar for the unfamiliar. I'm not filling in any blanks right now. I just want to know, are you willing to follow my call? And as Abraham went out, the writer of Hebrews looked back and said, by faith, Abraham. By the way, we walk by faith and not by sight. This is a walk of faith. And if you want God to prove himself to you, he owes you nothing. But he loves you. And he reveals himself to call you into a relationship to himself. But you have to have the initiative to feel after him, to go after him, to make the journey from the general to the specific, from the east to Jerusalem so you can be guided from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, to the neighborhood, to the street, to the house. Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, the Bible said he obeyed. And he went out not knowing where he went. What kind of God is that? Who would call you into a walk of faith to tell you that I'll take care of the details. I just want to know if you're willing to follow me wherever my call may lead. And your willingness to obey the general revelation like the star in the east qualifies you for more specific revelation like the star that guided the wise men directly to Jesus. If the wise men would have just experienced the wonder of the star in the east and sat down to discuss it and never took action on it, they would have never found Jesus. And there are people that you know there may be people here today watching online. They love the experience of the glory of God. They like what they feel. But they sit where they are. They never make the journey of faith and obedience to find what God is really saying them to them and calling them to. My message today of the guiding star is that God calls you into a relationship with Him, but it is up to you to obey and go out and walk toward His promise and walk toward His presence. If you're ever going to find Him, you've got to feel after Him. You've got to make the journey toward Him. Some people enjoy the revelation, but never act on it. Revel in the supernatural, but never follow the guiding star. And it's not likely that God will show you more until you do what you already know. If you ignore what God has shown you, the Bible would indicate in numerous passages that if I could use this analogy that the star, instead of getting brighter and more specific, it, gets, it grows more dim. It grows more distant. And then it just seems to disappear because of your lack of interest in God. If you dismiss a spiritual longing, a holy urge, if you quench the spirit, if you grieve the spirit of God, then you distance yourself from God. God does not change his position, but you change your position toward him. 
Now the Bible bears this out in numerous ways. In Romans chapter 1, because they did not glorify him as God, their foolish heart was darkened. Because they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to do evil, unimaginable things. There is a straight gate, Jesus said, and you've got to find it. By seeking it a narrow way. Hosea said, we will know the Lord if we follow on to know the Lord. Deuteronomy and Jeremiah told us that you seek the Lord, you will find Him if you will search for Him with all your heart. Just because you feel God does not mean you know Him. Just because you sense Him does not mean you please Him. It is making the journey of obedience till you find His presence, until you worship Him, till you give the best gift you have of your life and your resources. The guiding star. Now I think we all know this. But before there were modern GPS and Navigational guidance systems. Before a device could lock in on any number of satellites circling the earth. The ancient days of sailing. Those seafaring men could navigate by the stars. Constellation is a group of stars and lines drawn together to make up like a dot to dot picture. Twelve constellations that make up the zodiac. 88, 88 constellations in the celestial sphere. A star map, and with the celestial navigation instrument, with those tools, you can figure out wherever you are on planet Earth. You can tell where you are by those stars. In the same way that you can use a terrestrial map to guide yourself from here to the mall or wherever you need to go. If you live in the northern hemisphere, these 12 constellations can reveal where you are to guide you where you want to go. Constellations and knowledge of the night sky have played an important role in maritime history throughout the ages. You could find where you are and navigate to where you need to go by following the stars. You can navigate with them even if you cannot see land at all. The most important and easiest star to find in the night sky is the North Star or Polaris, the Pole Star. It is located at the tip in the handle of the constellation, the Little Dipper. And the easiest way is to find those pointer stars who point to the North Star. And wherever you are in the Northern Hemisphere, if you can find that star, you will know that you're pointing toward the North. God gave us natural navigational stars to guide us. Genesis tells us that these lights in the firmament of the heaven would divide the day from the night and they would be for signs and seasons for days and years and for lights in the firmaments. The wise men knew those stars and I'm sure that they could navigate by those stars but there was something more than that. There was something more than a constellation that God had created before you were ever born on this earth. There was a guiding light. 
a supernatural indicator that God is revealing himself to you. And if you want to know him, then go after him, seek him, and find him. But as part of this message, I felt strongly to say to you that if you do not follow the guiding star, you are forced to follow wandering stars. And Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, who wrote this single-chapter book in the Bible packed with powerful principles, wrote about false teachers. He describes these who are would-be leaders trying to guide people to something other than Jesus himself. Jude describes them as ungodly men. They're going to attempt to dissuade disciples and lead them astray. They deny the Lord. They are filthy dreamers. They defile the flesh. They despise authority or dominion. They speak evil of dignities. They are like clouds without water. They promise rain, but they give no rain. They are like fruit trees with no fruit. They advertise, but they never deliver. They are like raging waves of the sea that roll up all kinds of debris and dirt on the shore. But Jude also says in verse 13, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Jude says these false teachers are not like ordered stars, not like stars that God designed to guide you. They are wandering stars. They are not fixed. They are not predictable. They are more like comets. They are like shooting stars that are leading you out of an orbit toward God and into some crazy, just, just terrible place that you never know where you're going to end up. Those are the kind of teachers, and Jude says you should never follow them. They, like the false prophet Balaam, go astray while leading others astray. Jude talks about Balaam. They are like the fallen angels of, from heaven who no longer have a fixed point of lordship but are wandering and chaotic in their, in their existence. There are lots of applications to this idea about wandering stars. But suffice it to say that you can either follow a guiding star that leads to eternal life. Or if you forfeit that direction, you will by nature follow a wandering star that leads to eternal destruction. The Apostle Peter spoke of this more sure word of prophecy, the Bible, that we do well to take heed to its words. It's like a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns. And the day star dawns in your heart, referring to Jesus Christ. Ultimately, following the Bible in complete obedience leads you to the person of Jesus Christ and to eternal life. Today my message is somewhat polarizing. Each of us have a choice every day. And perhaps at pivotal moments of our life, when God begins to speak to us, convicting us of sin, guiding us toward ministry, 
leading us in relationships, trying to help us find his will and ultimately his his purpose and his person, the person of Jesus Christ. We can follow that general leading, seeking specific guidance that will lead to Jesus in eternal life. Or we can walk away from what God is revealing to us. Ultimately follow some wandering star that leads to an eternal abyss separated from God forever. So today, this message to me is calling me to radical, complete obedience to the Lord as he guides me toward himself and his will. Today, I challenge you to follow wherever the Lord would lead you, knowing that he always guides you toward himself and toward his will. Would you please bow your heads and let's pray together now. Lord, at Christmas time, we are faced with a clear decision, Lord. A decision to follow you toward a future you have planned for us. Or to follow another way, Lord, that leads away from you. There are young people who are plotting out their future, trying to determine goals and dreams making decisions about who and where and what and why. But today, Lord, I bring them back to a fundamental knowledge, Lord, of yourself and of your word, Lord. And I pray that a young person in this room, a young adult in this room, would choose to follow you, Lord, wherever your will would lead. Knowing, Lord, that while they do not have all the blanks filled in, while they do not have all the details figured out, that you are guiding them in a general way toward a more specific understanding of your will for their lives. I pray for, Lord, people at every season and station of life, for, Lord, regardless of where we are in our lives, we can be like the old men of old kings who in their old age cease to follow you, Lord. We can be like the young men, kings of the Bible, who from their youth never obeyed the Lord. At this Christmas season, Lord, I feel you, Lord, calling today. I feel you drawing today for whomever you've designed this message to reach. I pray that they would make the choice to follow the guiding star. Amen. We're going to come to the altar in a moment. But as I was praying, I felt so strongly impressed to say this. I said earlier that every day in our lives we make a decision to obey or disobey the Bible and the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But as I prayed just now, I 
I felt very strongly that someone is in a pivotal place in your life. And the decision that you make today determines more than just what happens today. This is a decision of destiny for you. You're either turning toward Him or more and more light and understanding and knowledge will lead you to Him and His will. Or you are turning from Him following a wandering star to an uncertain, well, really a certain future, but an uncertain path to that future. So today, I beg you to choose wisely. to think clearly, to comprehend the message of the Bible today, that God loves you enough to give you a guiding star, but you have to love Him enough to follow it.